0: This is a Federal News Network podcast.
1: The State Department has several annual fellowship programs designed to bring in new talent. We've been bringing you their stories here on the Federal Drive. Today, we're talking about the William D. Clark Senior Diplomatic Security Fellowships. And here with the details, the Assistant Secretary of State for Diplomatic Security, Gentry Smith. Mr. Smith, good to have you with us.
0: Thank you very much, Tom. It's a pleasure being with you today.
1: And let's talk about diplomatic security fellowships. Is this a way of recruiting people outside of the normal channels to get the numbers of people you need to fill the ranks?
0: Yeah, we're really excited about this opportunity with the William D. Clark Fellowship. Your main goal is to focus on giving individuals an opportunity to uh, come on board uh, as a special agent with the diplomatic security service. And with the special focus awards looking at underrepresented communities and, and providing this opportunity for graduate students to participate in the program with the uh, end result being entree into uh, our cadre as a, as a special agent with the Diplomatic Security Service.
1: All right. And maybe just review for us briefly who William D. Clark Sr. was for those that may not recall.
0: Ah, William D. Clark Sr. was uh, the first Diplomatic Security Special Agent to reach the uh, rank of ambassador. He uh, served as ambassador for Eritrea, but also had an outstanding career during his time uh, in the Diplomatic Security Service. And so uh, having this opportunity to have the fellowship named after him with the particular focus that it has is an honor to the organization and to what he represented.
1: All right. So you're looking for graduate students or people that are pursuing a master's degree. And you mentioned underrepresented communities. Is there a focus on, say, HBCUs and uh, colleges of that nature in the recruiting here?
0: It's much broader than that as well. And when we say underrepresented communities, we mean the the broad spectrum of underrepresented communities. You know, diversity, equity, inclusion and access is, of, of course, uh, one of the focuses with the department that gets a lot of attention and one that the secretary has stated is one of his commitments. So we're happy to partner in this arrangement with the focus on bringing in personnel from varying backgrounds that will provide diversity within the particular organization of the Diplomatic Security Service as well.
1: All right. And the fellows that are selected, I guess they're men and women, they get some benefits of cash while they're doing this work.
0: Yeah. It's based on the two-year graduate program, of which uh, $24,000 is available for tuition. And then additional funds are available for room, board, and expenses uh, in the area of uh, $18,000 per year. And how many are Uh, you looking – I'm sorry – uh, to answer that question that you were going to ask about uh, how many we're looking for, the cohort is designed in its initial phase to bring on eight individuals in our uh, first group, and we'll see you know how we do with that. And we're looking to have those personnel on, up, and running for 2023. And what
1: areas of training will they need to complete successfully to become Diplomatic Security Service Special Agents?
0: Pursuing their graduate degree, that is one of the other diverse elements of personnel serving in diplomatic security, particularly personnel coming from various backgrounds of studies. So the only requirement is to complete their graduate studies. The program is set up within that. There would be, of course, pursuit of the degree within the school, but there are also two iterations where the individuals get to interact with personnel here in the department. During the first session, they would be in a domestic office, generally here in Washington, D.C., where they have a semester of interacting with personnel within diplomatic security. The second iteration would be at an overseas location at one of our embassies and consulates around the world. And again, having a semester of interacting in that setting. And I guess one of the other advantages is throughout the program, you know, the candidates would have access to mentors and persons already operating within the profession that they could interact with, learn more about the organization and to help them in their uh, development as they progress through the program.
1: We're speaking with Gentry Smith. He's the Assistant Secretary of State for Diplomatic Security. And so after they are appointed, that's when they get to do the fun stuff like firearms training and learning to drive sedans backwards really fast.
0: <laughs> yeah, we will run them through the entire gamut of training that every special agent goes through, called our Basic Special Agent Course. And uh, once they complete that course, they uh, are then fully fledged special agents with the Diplomatic Security Service, with then the opportunity to serve fully both domestic and abroad. And what is the life
1: like in being a Diplomatic Security Service agent? It sounds like a combination of cop, Secret Service agent, FBI agent, and diplomat all kind of rolled into one.
0: (laughs) Well, the Diplomatic Security Service is the law enforcement and security arm of the U.S. Department of State. And we do a variety of different things under that umbrella of law enforcement and security, both domestic and around the world, globally we're in over 270 locations around the world uh located in more than 175 countries around the world with the responsibility of protecting our personnel who serve in our missions abroad protecting our national security information and also in ensuring the protection of those facilities in which we serve for the special agents security engineering officers security engineers and security technical specialists that serve around the world There's also a lot of interaction with other law enforcement personnel and technical and physical security personnel who are located in those countries around the world, interfacing with them all to do the things that are within our mission of keeping our people, our information and our facilities safe. On the domestic side, again, the special agents serve at our field offices and resident agencies around the country. We have a responsibility for protecting U.S. travel documents, mainly U.S. passports and visas, but we also understand our role in protecting foreign visitors who are guests in the U.S., whether those are diplomats who are assigned here, uh, where you know we, in our liais- protective liaison capacity, will make sure that we can address any concerns that foreign diplomats who reside here and work in the U.S. may have, and of course, any high-level foreign dignitaries who visit the U.S. We also partner with a lot of those law enforcement agencies that you mentioned earlier on issues of special concern that cross both of our paths.
1: And how many people are in the Diplomatic Security Service, and is there a contractor component under them that fills in some of the jobs?
0: Yeah, we have uh, both foreign service personnel, we have civil service personnel, and we have uh, persons who also work with us under contract, both domestically and abroad. Uh, Around the world, uh, that number comes to somewhere around 50,000 individuals. When you look at the overarching group that makes up the Diplomatic Security Service. For the special agent cadre, that's uh, closer to around 2,000. 2,000-plus special agents. But as I stated, then we have security engineering officers, diplomatic couriers, and other technical specialists that help us to keep people safe and secure.
1: All right. And, uh, of course, you are the Assistant Secretary of State and oversee all of this. Do you ever get a chance to just step outside and walk a beat and take a look around and <laughs> then go back into the office?
0: Um, my days of walking beats are, are, are long gone. Uh <laughs> But uh, I, I do get the opportunity to interact with all the various levels of uh, the professionals and experts that we have within our organization. I travel quite a bit just to you know, have that face to face exchange and to get to see what's going on in various regions, just to make sure that both the personnel who are serving there know of, of our availability, but also to have that interaction with the people that are out there doing the job it's been an enjoy- it, it is an enjoyable job uh, i've been in this business for well over 30 plus years and uh still enjoy it every day
1: all right gentry smith is the assistant secretary of state for diplomatic security thanks so much for joining me
0: yeah it's been a pleasure thanks a lot tom for having us and uh, great having an opportunity to actually talk about the clock fellowship we hope that uh many people will uh have an interest in it and uh course, there's more information on our on the website of DSSCareers.state.gov, and also specifically on the website for uh, the fellowship ClarkDSFellowship.org.
1: All right, we'll post this interview along with a link to more about the fellowship program at FederalNewsNetwork.com/FederalDrive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows.
3: Um, you know, making sure that they have what they need to be successful in a tactical way. But then also something I definitely learned at the FBI as I went along is, you know, the importance of creating an environment that is supportive and inspiring. You know, we joke about it, but food has played a pretty serious role um, in my leadership style over time. Um, I learned from great mentors. I worked with Bill Estevez at the FBI who had a full-scale cappuccino maker at his cubicle, right, and would host coffee hour, and you'd see the steam rising across the cubicles. Um, I worked with a, a great friend who used to carry hot frittatas for breakfast celebrations on, this, on the Metro, right, in one of those sort of coolie bags. Um, and so I, I've sort of, I think it's been additive in terms of learning, getting confidence in my approach, and then adding these pieces as I go that I've certainly learned from mentors and colleagues.
2: And clearly you never let anything get in your way. You were mission-focused, as you mentioned, and you just got the job done no matter what was in front of you.
3: Well, I wish I wish and it was it was that easy. I mean, I think we had a lot of success. Um, one thing has always been my approach when starting out as a leader, too, is to solve near term problems. I always say sort of deliver short, and then you can push them long. Right. So we we don't always succeed in those long term goals or those you know sort of blue sky ideas. As leaders, we want to achieve. Um, but we deliver on those short-term pieces, right? And you get that buy-in from the stakeholders. And then often you can push toward those bigger dreams, hopes, aspirations, and goals. Um, I would like to say I was 100% on both fronts. <laughs> I'm not sure your characterization is 100% accurate there, but I'll take it um, in, this, in this sense.
2: Looking back, what, what's one piece of advice you might have given your younger self when you first started?
3: Yeah, it's, it's interesting today, too, working with students, I get that chance, right, to give my, essentially my younger self, um, advice every day. And one thing we talk a lot about, and I wish I had thought more explicitly about, is really, it's about calibration, right? And so I always think Emeril Lagasse would say, like, a stove has dials for a reason, right? It's not like all hot or all cold. And I think it's the same here. In some ways in my career, I had to learn to tone it down. Right? And to, you know, certainly at the FBI, sometimes you need to take that back seat at a meeting and wait to be invited to the table, and that's really the appropriate way to build rapport, relationships and trust. Other times, I needed to learn to tune it up, right, to up the volume a little bit. Um, I had a wonderful boss, Dave Schlendorf, who we were in a meeting together with big bosses at the FBI once, and I was working for Dave, and we left the meeting and we were walking back to the office, and I made a point. I don't even remember what the point was now. And he stopped in the hall and said, why didn't you say that in the meeting? You're not helping me, right? Telling me this now. Now I have to go back and fix this. And I realized, so, well, sometimes you have to tone it down. Sometimes you have to tone it up. And that modulation, that sort of volume control about when to lean in and out, if you will, um, that's, you know, even just thinking about that explicitly for folks starting out, I think is really helpful because it's not one size fits all.
2: Right. I, I totally agree and understand that it isn't one size fits all. And a lot of leadership is described in bumper stickers sayings. And I don't think that's realistic. I think it's situationally dependent and you have to be self-aware and aware of your circumstances to adjust. That's well said. You're training the next generation or helping to train them. Federal leaders through AU's School of Public Affairs, how do we encourage, how do you encourage young people to answer the call of federal service?
3: You know, I'm so lucky at AU, we, we draw in, right, students who are primed for this um, and who are passionate when they walk in our doors. Even with that population, you know, there are headwinds, right? USA Jobs, right, just even getting educated, these pieces. So so helping with that is a whole set of work. I'm also really passionate about, as you point out, reaching out to a diversity of folks